There's a great big world out there. Please go change it for the better. There's, you know, it's like, you can always change it for the better, but please respect the people who have done it before you and what you can learn from them and then improve and build upon it. There's nothing wrong with like building on the shoulders of giants. But I found my way. Hello, everybody. Welcome to The Sponge Show. This episode has been nine months in the making since our last episode was published and put out to the world. So thanks, everybody, for being patient. And thanks, everybody, for asking about, am I going to publish again? So here we are. We have a really special episode um, coming from Blank Slate Collective in downtown Appleton. Uh, my name is Brad Sabalski. I'm the host. And I and run a company called Be Connected, which is a, which is a social media marketing company here in Appleton. And um, what the Sponge Show is, is it's a show that highlights uh, people in the creative industry, entrepreneurs, people that are involved in the community, making a difference, and basically just soaking up, being sponges as much as we possibly can to learn from each other and to learn from the guests that we bring on the show. Um, so why is this show so special to me? Not just because it's been in hiatus forever, but um, I have with me my brother, Greg, is the guest, hey. the guest of the Sponge Show. I hope for the record that we don't sound like too similar, that people can't really tell us apart. Otherwise, it's just going to sound like two people talking over each other. But I'm, I'm thrilled to be here. I'm thrilled to have you. I'm so excited. Like I, I, I've listened to every single episode you guys have done. You have a great team putting this together. I love this space. And uh, Thanks. I mean, let the record show that I asked to be on the show. <laughs> so, uh, if you'll have me. And uh, I was honored that you did. And I'm happy to bring it back after nine months. Um, so friends and family of ours are, are going to know why you're on the show based off of like what the show is all about. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> or they might just Wait, be What like, happened to your brother? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Looks like Brad ran out of guests in, but yeah, he had to resort yeah. to the family yeah. and call in the backups. <laughs> so can you give the audience your background as far as like what you do for a living? And, and Yeah. Um, <clears throat> where do you live? I live in Los Angeles. I live in Reseda, California, uh, just north of the uh, of Hollywood, <laughs> Hollywood, <laughs> California. Uh, no, um, I'm a supervising producer and an editor and right now i am a producer and an editor for uh discovery studios who make discovery channel and um and what show are you working on right now are you allowed to say that yeah yeah i'm working on a show called alaska the last frontier which a lot of people probably recognize they do yeah it's in season nine so there's at least uh 90 episodes of the show so it's pretty popular it's been around a long time um and well, technically, my role on that show is unique, and we can like kind of get into it. And that is because they, I've been hired as a producer and an editor. For the past five years, I've been a producer and a supervising producer of a variety of shows, including shows for like National Geographic and Netflix and History Channel and um, A&E and stuff like that, Bravo. Some pitches we did for them. They didn't like the pitches, so, you know. Well, bravo. <laughs> bravo, I guess, yeah. Um, but that's what I'm doing now. Cool. Yeah. Thanks so much for being here. I know, like, when when you have been following along the show, it's always been from a distance, you know, how many states over. Yeah. So having you, I would say, home 
No, no I consider no. I consider this home. Like if they're like, where are you going? I was like, oh, I'm going home. But I'm going back to okay. Wisconsin. So yeah. having you home and even interested in being on this show, I think, is really cool. Because you yeah. have, you have your own podcast that you you run out in which studios? The Warner Brothers Studios. Yeah, uh, we uh, well, technically it's not a podcast. It's not available on the podcast app. It's technically an internet radio show that's distributed through an internet radio company. We're trying to get a we're trying to get a podcast. It's called Brigade Radio One. What's the difference between an internet radio show and a podcast? Uh, nothing. It's just distribution. So you can't go to the podcast app and find us. Whatever. You have to go to the website. If you made your it. own RSS feed and put it on Spotify, it would be a podcast. Yeah, I could do that. I don't own the show. Oh. I was asked to be a part of it. But you have. <laughs> but it's still your show. That's true. It's, I am. It's got your thumbprint all over it. Yes. Sometimes too much. There's like people are like, too, there's too many thumbprints on this. <laughs> Please back off. Please back off. You're a little loud. Too many thumbprints. <laughs> Uh, but no, uh, we uh, have the show. It's through a company called uh, Brigade Radio One, and it's called Film Radio. And we talk about film, film and cinema <laughs> with a with a, one of my best friends out there in LA. And uh, we get the uh, I'm not gonna lie, it's pretty great. We get the um, ability to film it on or to record it on the uh, Universal Studios lot. Oh, sorry, I I said Warner Brothers, so I misspoke. I mean that's okay. There's a lot of studios over there. Yeah, there's at least five. But probably in the industry, it's like, no, 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 it's not on Warner Brothers. It's Universal. Well, they're literally neighbors. So if you can get to one, you can get to the other. We just happened to turn into the Universal gate and they let us on. So oh, nice. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, no, we've done about like 25 episodes of that. And uh, we have a great time doing it. And it's really fun. So this uh, this should be a piece of cake because you uh, have way more episodes than we have. <laughs> you got to start somewhere. And you don't take nine month breaks. I mean, sometimes we do. We take month breaks. All right, fair enough. You know. So, without getting too deep into your career and your history of how you got to do what you do, um, the first step of being a sponge is to soak up things. Oh yes, right. Yeah. So we each brought a drink of choice here um, to soak up while we are going to be chatting with each other. Um, I'll go first, just because I looked at my bottle. First. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I have with me, what do you know, everybody who follows <laughs> the show? It's a red wine. You're a wine guy. I'm a wine guy. Yeah, that's great. It happens. Um, and I have with me the Spoken Barrel Cabernet out of Washington. And it says that it is, it's, it claims that it is bold and complex, uh, born in the rugged growing conditions of the Columbia Valley. Washington. There we go. Is pretty bold. <laughs> I mean, There's you, not. You got to go bold. It is not. Um, it's not a, you know, ninety degree temperature smooth drinking wine by any means. It's a uh, steak dinner. I was gonna say go probably good with a steak. Yeah, it's a thick steak. Like a Syrah. Ooh, like I love a good Syrah. This this is it's good. It's just heavy. We actually belong to the same winery. We do. We don't belong to the winery. No, but we're club members. Yeah, we, we belong to the same wine club. We pay for it, and they send us wine. Shout and out. we pay the same people. <laughs> Shout out Carhartt Vineyards. Oh, man, it's it, so good. If you feel like sponsoring the Sponge Show, I have wine on just about every episode. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. we got to start calling out sponsors. <laughs> That's right. You're going to get cases in here before too long. I hope so. This is, I brought, uh, this is uh, Kentucky Bourbon Barrel Ale. That's what the label says. I just picked this up. From? Because... Uh, from Corks and Caps, actually. Oh, in case they want to sponsor the show. <laughs> yeah, I mean, send them in. Corks and Caps, we love you. Uh, but uh, no, I, I I just picked up a beer, um, and and also like I've been off of a, like IPA beer is a big thing. People like 
love IPAs. I don't. I'm I can't. Off of IPAs I'm speaking right like now. I can drink beer still. I, I can't drink beer anymore. Yeah, but. I know. Like like if you have a craft brewery, people are like, you got oh, you got to get IPA. Like it was a really hot thing for a while. I'm totally off of it. I'm laughing because two of our producers right now from the Be Connected team, Brandon and Alejandra, shout out to you guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Brandon is a brewer himself. Yeah. And I think he's on the IPA train. That's great, man. I mean, you really got to lock in like your thing. Well, he's on an everything train, he says. Everything train. I just, you know, maybe like a month ago, I was like, some uh, friend was coming over. He's like, hey, I'm going to bring you some beer. Actually, Derek Skell, another mutual oh, friend nice. of ours. He's like, I'm going to bring you some beer. I was like, bring anything you want, but don't bring an IPA. And like, <laughs> that came from nowhere. Like, I just, I was like, Ambers, ales, golden ales, um, pilsner, pilsners. What about pilsners? The, what about the shandies? <laughs> the sh- oh my gosh! Get out of here with the shandies! I can't believe you drink summer shandy. <laughs> I don't or anymore. Used to. I don't anymore. But I would be lying if we didn't have a twelve pack in our fridge right now. Yeah. I'll from, tell you what. If you other, want beer, drink half. a beer. If you want a lemonade, like go buy some lemonade. What if I want both at the same time? Then, like double fist. <laughs> <laughs> Next time we, we have you uh, as somebody on as a guest, they're going to come in with a summer shandy. I'm going to move it to the side. I'm yeah. going to give them some country time lemonade and an, a Miller Lite. Mix it yourself. <laughs> Pour yeah, it together. Yeah. Um, but I'm a, big, I'm a huge fan of scotch and uh, bourbon. So this uh, spoke to me. I should have brought some scotch. And how is, how is it? It's 8%. So Let's try it. Can you give us the play-by-play? It's darker than I thought. First of all, it's really chocolatey, actually, which is surprising for a bourbon barrel. I expect it to be a little sweeter, but I guess the beer in the bourbon barrel does something does it a say little darker. It's a bourbon barrel stout or a bourbon barrel. Um, it just says ale. It just says ale. I'm guessing this is a Kentucky ale, and then it says aged in bourbon barrels. Fitting with Kentucky. Yeah. Actually, did you know that there's a, this is a tangent. You can uh, edit this out. We can leave it in. Uh, we, uh, uh. There's this like chain of barrels in the world. Like in America, you can only use a barrel to age uh, bourbon once. You can't reuse a barrel to age it. So what happens is Jack Daniels or in, in, and uh, Maker's Mark and whoever's making bourbon, they, they use their barrel once and they're like, here's a barrel and they ship it to Scotland and that's what they age scotch in because they can do that. So if you can only age it once, yeah, what do they put the beer in? Well... Generally, you don't age beer in barrels. I think that's what makes this fancy, right? Right, but if you can only do it, maybe it's only a liquor thing and not a beer thing. I think it's a liquor thing, right? Because then they ship it to Scotland, and then they age their scotch, and then they ship it to France, and then they age something else in it. There's like this long chain. So if Jack Daniels runs out of barrels, there's like all these people down the chain that run out of barrels. This aftermarket barrel. Yeah. Aftermarket barrel Got to get in on that. Got to get in on that. They sell them. You can go (laughs) online and buy them. Yes. Your own branded... Yeah, serial numbered. So enough about the drinks. That's not why we're here. All right. Yeah. So can you give us the um, the timeline? Because a lot of people would say like, how the heck does somebody become a producer for shows on Discovery Channel and National Geographic and things like that? Yeah. Or, and films and things like that. So how did you get from point A to point B? If point A was graduating from Hortonville High School. <laughs> yeah. I uh, graduated in 2005. Um, and then I went to uh i started film school in the university of minneapolis in minnesota well technically university of minnesota in minneapolis um and it just wasn't what i was looking for it was a lot of people talking about movies and like exploring what like went into making a movie like from a emotional standpoint it was a lot it was a lot like watching like art films and i was like 
this is great, but I just want to like watch Mission Impossible. <laughs> <laughs> like go make Mission Impossible. Still, where's the explosion? Exactly. It's like. <laughs> Anyway, there were some movies like that. So I did that only for a semester, actually. And then I dropped out, technically, college dropout. Um, stayed there for a while. And then I moved to L.A. when I was 19. And I went to um, a film school there called Los Angeles Film School, which at the time was a one-year sort of like immersion program. And there's a couple of those. Okay, so if you um, drop out of a school but then go to graduate from another school, are you a college dropout? I don't know. I kind of like... Sometimes I like wearing the badge, like I'm gonna kind of drop out, no big deal. Oh yeah, I, <laughs> I fit in with more of more of Hollywood now. Makes me feel more like Spielberg, <laughs> who dropped out of LMU. Yeah. So you know, I was like, I'm Spielberg, no big deal. <laughs> um, I'm sure there's some psychological damage there, but that's okay. I moved out to LA. I did a one-year immersion program, um, and they give you your certificate. Now it's an associate's degree. The school has changed uh, since I was there ten years ago. Um, you can go get your associate's degree and I met a lot of the right people. And then you just get to work after that. And basically that means like PA on set, which means production assistant, which means you are like the lowest of the low. You're like a runner. You're a runner. Um, you get a lot of coffees. Actually, it's a little bit better than that. Like, um, you're in charge of, uh, coffees, uh, coffees. <laughs> uh, uh, giving out paperwork, like handing out scripts. Oh, Telling people to be quiet, really like 90% of your job is be, be quiet, you know, because on film sets, it's surprisingly quiet, or at least it's supposed to be. So they're like, go over there and tell everybody to be quiet. <laughs> so that's what you do for 16 hours. And then um, you get lunch, you get meals, that sort of thing. I was fortunate enough to um, work on some movies right out of school. In the, and that's just about like meeting the right people on one who meet the right people on another who like meet the right people on another. You kind of roll from one into the next and you can send out your resumes by that point. And he's like, I worked on the four films. Like you can do this. So I did that for like two years, I think of just working on like one show, one movie, one, you know, whatever. Um, got to work on some stuff. I didn't work on anything like mission impossible. I worked on stuff like, uh, but you, what was, um, no, the biggest movie I worked on was a movie called crank Two. crank. That's what I was, yeah, yeah. I was like. It's not mission impossible, but stuff still exploded. Yeah. No, there's some explosions <laughs> and there's some like ripping hearts out of chests, you know, stuff like that. Classic Jason. There's a Statham. lot of like other dark stuff. Jason Statham was in that. It's like a Jason Statham action movie. He yeah. was like right in that period where he was doing Crank and he was doing like Transporter. Remember Transporter? Yeah. It's great. It's just like as long as you commit, like it's, it's good great. Experience. I don't care what you do as it's long your, as you commit to your, it. It's on so your don't. IMDb now. It By is. the way, Greg Sabalski. Is it Gregory on IMDb? It's Gregory. It's oh, a little, so you know. Gregory Sabalski <laughs> can be found on IMDb if you want to see the full the full uh, credit, yeah. credit list credit history. Long story short, I was doing movies, I was doing TV shows on set, um, and then I got to PA on a show called uh, Gene Simmons Family Jewels, uh, which is a reality show that starred uh, Gene Simmons, who was the uh, was the lead singer, no. lead guitarist. No, he was the bass player. Was he the bass player? Yeah, Ace Frehley was the guitarist. There you go. Of Kiss. Yes. See, this is where you're going to come in, because sure. you know a lot about more <laughs> Kiss than I do. I have a pretty good Gene Simmons story. I don't know a lot about Kiss, by the <laughs> way. <laughs> but I do know that Ace Freely was the guitarist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, this is my Kiss story. So I'm on set, and Gene, Sim Gene Simmons is, like, kind of a celebrity. So you're there, and you're there. and his, I mean, his whole family was, like, on the show. And uh, on, when you're on set, there's this thing called Crafty, which is basically like a table full of food all the time. It's like craft services. You probably have that on shoots and stuff. No, we don't. 
All right. Well, you go Maybe ahead. Maybe we like, should start. You should start it. It's great. It's fantastic. <laughs> so crafty is like the jargon, industry jargon for the food table. Craft services is a department in like a film budget breakdown. Okay. And they're responsible for feeding and sustaining the crew throughout the day. Sure. They're not the caterers, which do the meals. Right. But crafty does like they'll, they'll literally just like a table in the corner filled with Cheetos, you know, and like granola bars and coffee and soda and everything and the weird things too like they're also responsible for like if there's a spill on set they're responsible for like cleaning it up like this weird thing so like if you need a mop you go to crafty i was just gonna say so like (laughs) whoever is putting the cheetos out if you knock over your dr pepper it's like hey I knocked over my Dr. Pepper. Can somebody right. clean, please clean this right, up? Right, right, right. It's like <laughs> welcome <weird>. to California. <laughs> it's like this weird. You hear those like weird like demarcations of responsibility that like that's one that like it's falls probably in a there. union thing. Yeah, exactly. Sure. I just remember they had to like they had to like wet vac like a oil spill or something. I was like, shouldn't somebody else be doing this? Like you get the. He's like, oh yeah, and here's some sandwiches too. I was just gonna say, and then they bring <laughs> out the tray, and their hands are all filthy. Yeah. So I was that crafty, and I'm like getting some Cheetos or something, and. Gene Simmons comes up behind me and he goes, uh, Hey, what's your name? <laughs> and I was like, what? I was like, uh, here's another backstory. We were filming at a roller derby, you know, roller derby. Yes. Like the yes. Br- most brutal, like all women oval track beating the yeah. heck out of each other. Everybody's got pads and throwing yeah. elbows. Yeah. Right. So I'm at crafty and he comes up behind me and he goes, what's your name? <clears throat> I go, uh, Greg, <laughs> uh, 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 my name is Greg. So Greg's not a very good name. <laughs> and they go, uh, you know, okay. Sorry, mom and dad. Gene Simmons does not, <laughs> does not think no. Gregory was a good pick. I didn't know. He was asking me, like, what my roller derby name was. Because oh. he was going around, like, asking everybody, like, like Brad, what's your name? You need to be, like, Killer B. <laughs> like, that'd be your name. Yeah, Killer Tank. Kill- is that your name? No. It is now. <laughs> it is now. You're going to put it on a t-shirt. He goes behind me and goes, what's your name? I said, Greg. And he's like, it's not a very good name. I'm going to call you Greg Destroyer of All Nations. <laughs> I was like, okay, that'll be cool. So that's what, uh, that's my Gene Simmons story. Anyway. The guest on the sponge show today, we have <laughs> Greg Destroyer of All Destroyer Nations. Destroyer of All Nations. Sabalski. Yes, yes, yes. And I will. Apparently. I was on that show and... As you know, whenever you film a show, you have to edit the show. Yeah. And um, I was on that show, and we were kind of wrapping it out after um, there was an episode where his daughter celebrates her sweet 16th birthday, and it was the most cake I've ever cleaned up in my entire life because uh, there was a big cake fight, and it was a disaster. Uh, they were at that point, and they are like, hey, we need some PAs in post because a lot of the P- – if you're on set, you don't normally transition into post because editorial and production is very different. Or they just are treated different people in the office and people in the field. And uh, they said, Hey, we need some people in post. Do you know how to work in avid, which is like premiere? Yeah. I said, yeah. And then uh, that was like a Friday. And then Saturday morning I drove to Barnes and Noble and bought like a avid for dummies. (laughs) (laughs) So you hustled a little bit Uh, for sure. I was like, yeah, I can do that because that's what it is. It's like, that's all you're doing is hustling. Right. At that point. I've done that with the social stuff. Oh, interesting. <laughs> this is like, but this is like right when I was starting. Oh, right. Because in my head, I was like, Red Bull's making videos. I can make and, videos. And, and they're taking photos of like, you know, dirt bikes jumping off jumps. Yeah. And like, that's all I need is photos. And be like, are you going to work in photo and video into like what we do? And I'm like, yes, that's actually how I do things. Yeah. And I bought an entry level Canon 
with for a, sure. a kit lens on it. Yeah. That was like the first big purchase I made. If you're going to do anything for yourself, you have to like hustle it. You <laughs> can't just like, no one's going to pay you. And this is what I learned the hard way too. It's like out of film school, like no one's going to pay you to direct a movie. Literally no one. And the client's not going to give me more money to go hire another photographer. They want me to do it. Right. They're like, why can't yeah. you do it? I'm paying you. That's why I hired. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, and then that Monday I started as basically a night logger, which is basically like the lowest of the low. So you show up at 6 PM and you work till 4 AM and you're literally just like watching footage and like typing what happens because then you give it to people. Interestingly, I've never worked on a show since then that actually had, Night loggers. <laughs> I may have been the last night logger. I was just going to say. But like, we got to stop paying people to do this. <laughs> this is bad. Um, Health and Human Services came in and they were yeah. like, this is not good working conditions. Right, exactly. Um, but I will tell you that driving an LA freeway at like 75 miles an hour at 3 a.m. is pretty cool because it's like wide open. I've done that. Yeah. Wait, what? Yeah. When? We had to go pick Sarah up when I was out visiting once. And she, Sarah was getting done with the shift. Um, oh, at, down at the hotel? When, yeah. And she was getting done at like two in the morning and we were, and we were like the only ones on the highway. Yeah. It's the best, best time to drive in LA is like <laughs> between two and 4am. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so I did that and that's how I transitioned into post. And then really it's just been a ladder since then. It's been like night logger. Then you move to day logger. Then you move to post PA. Then you get an under another show, another post PA. And they're like, Hey, you can do this. Like then you become sort of like a story AP, which because that was in a in the reality world story associate producer right okay uh because that was in the reality world i sort of just followed that line of tracks you know that track uh because then you become a story ap which means they give you the footage that's been logged presumably and then you have to kind of start putting it together and story aps are the first people to be like this is good this is garbage right they have to kind of make that distinction. And then the story APs handed off to the producers of the episode. Each episode has their own producer and the producer is physically determining what the story is for each episode. Sure. And then from there you become supervising producer and then you move beyond episodes and you, you move into season, right? So then the supervising producer's role is to, um, determine what the stories of the season are going to be. And like the flow of character development. Or yeah. Whatever. Yeah. 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 Um, and I sort of through people I knew and Hey, you know, this person, you know, this person, you know, this person and show, 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 show. I, I really was able to cut my teeth on a show called wicked tuna on national geographic. I started as a story AP. And by the time I left, I was the supervising producer. Um, and I'm thankful for everybody who all the executives in that show that they allowed me to do that because again, you you're able to do that and sort of rise through the ranks. I did seven or eight seasons on that. And, and Wicked Tuna is a pretty big deal. I mean, it it's was still going. It's the number one show on National Geographic. Right? It was. It yeah, was, it still at, is. I don't know if it still is. Was at one time. It yeah. still is. Yeah. That's, that's awesome. why it's still around. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and they have the spinoff, which is Wicked Tuna OBX, which is the Outer Banks. Um, I got to go out to both of those locations. I got to spend time in, in Boston and, and uh, the Outer Banks in North Carolina. You had some clam chowder. Dude, so, it's so freaking good. Like... <laughs> Uh, the best soup I ever had was at a place called uh, In the Outer Banks. So I don't know. It's technically not New England clam chowder. But it, was, it was a place called Chili Peppers in the Outer Banks. And it was like crab lobster chowder. Well, it good thing so for good. you. This show doesn't have a large listening base not on, the, yet. on the East Coast. Not yet. <laughs> but they're going to go back in the archives someday when they get hooked on it. And they're going to be like, this will be it. What? <laughs> this guy is 
completely full of it. <laughs> yes, they're already <laughs> saying that. People listening are already saying that. Uh, but yeah, so I did. I was able to do that um, for about five years, and then I, um, through some career decisions, I transitioned onto some other projects and some other shows. But you went up to Alaska too. Was that the same show? Different show. I oh. did a discovery show called Edge of Alaska. Oh, season one, um, where I was up in Alaska for five weeks, and that was uh, really fun. And a lot of work and uh, fantastic <laughs> and uh, great. Yeah, that's awesome. So a lot of um, people that, well, I'll just, I'll generalize a lot here. I know that yeah. there are some outliers for this, especially when it comes to like the creative industry. Mm -hmm. But generally speaking, a lot of people understand that like I have a job and I, that is my career. Yeah. But your career is made up of like several jobs, like a ladder of several jobs, as you described. Yeah. And some of them are different studios and some of them are different seasons. Yeah. Right. How, yeah. So can you describe that industry work like environment or expectations as opposed to like, I got hired by a company and I've worked here for five years and I have nine to five, you know, it's not nine. I, the hours might be the same, but like the idea of not, not having a 12 month 365 day year right you know you think very differently when it comes to your jobs right for sure yeah yeah, yeah. um like the job i'm on now i have until thanksgiving i have to like through november for yeah. example and then i'm unemployed right like i know that's going to be a thing unless i hustle up until that point to like find a new job or start sending out resumes in september or october or whatever but that's but that becomes your new norm and like the industry yeah. norm right that's definitely the industry norm um i was fortunate enough through a show like wicked tuna for example i was at the same company for five or six years right by the same token it was like after six years of course there's all this like political behind the scenes stuff that I personally feel, but it was like, it's time for me to go. Right. It was like that, like that was six years at a place. And that's sort of normal too. Like if you're at a place, even creatively for six years, it's sort of like time to go. But the, the industry norm is you work on project to project. Right. So right now I'm on the last of the last frontier season nine. Right. That's what we're in right now. And then we'll produce season nine. And at the end of it all, discovery channel will have a hard drive filled with 15 episodes and five episode specials. And they'd be like, cool, that's season nine, you know? And like, that's what I was a part of. And so then, I mean, I could draw a line of like what the show I did previously and then one immediately before that and immediately before that. But again, that's, does that make my career? It's sort of, it's like this vague, it's, it's much more vague. But I think, right? it's, I think it's just interesting for a lot of people who are like, I can't imagine being in an environment where after eight or nine months, I'm unemployed again. And I know that going in. Right. And oh it's no, it's terrifying. Like it's terrifying. Like, like, don't get me wrong. Like, it's terrifying. Like. Yeah. I've lost a lot of sleep. <laughs> it's not like I'm trying to be easy about it. Uh, at the same time, you just have to kind of trust your yourself and you have to trust by now I've been doing it for 10 years, which I think is like, which I look at as like a big benchmark and yeah. I can say like, no, I have a 10 year resume. Like, you know, yeah. I can do it. And, um, you, and you know that like because of the industry, there will be projects and there will be shows and, I, and yeah. they will be produced in, in the area that you're in. So it like you trust, you, you trust the relationships you have and you trust the resume that you have and the IMDB list you have. Yeah. Like you and have to trust the world Yeah, that the world is in a way going to like reach out and be like, Hey, like we got you, we got you. Like, you know, there's people out there who want you somewhere and you just have to trust that they will get a hold of you 
and the, and you will do good work for them. Like it's, it's a, it's a runway thing, right? Yeah. Like you get a little traction and then you can kind of keep going and you kind of keep going. Cause there will be a show where they're going to be looking for someone to play the role that you are yeah. good at. Yeah. Like, for example, there are jobs that I have that I asked to be on and then I objectively interviewed for the show I'm on now. I'm fortunate enough to be able to say that I didn't interview for it, yeah. that someone recommended me to someone else who was looking for someone like me. Yeah. And then, of course, they were like, hey, we heard from blah, 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 that um, you might be a good fit for this. So will you come in and interview? You still got to interview, you know, that whole thing. Mm-hmm. And I was like, yeah, cool. And then you show up and, and you're like, yeah, you seem pretty cool. You want to come do it? <laughs> and then you do it. Yeah. Um, That's awesome. So, so I, ho- I hope my, my, my track record of hard work and, and smart work ha- continues to pay off. It will. Yeah. Yeah. And Hopefully. every year it will, it, the connections, will, you're not burning any bridges either. So it's, you know. I try not to. Well, you might be. I just don't know about. <laughs> I know what burning bridges looks like, and I'm happy to say that yeah. I I have not burned a lot of bridges. That's good. That's sort of what I feel like is a calling card of mine, to tell you the truth. Like, I think that I could basically call up anybody I've ever worked with. Yeah. I really believe that. I ran into somebody like two weeks ago that was on a show that got hard fired because no one else liked him, and I ran into him. It was like, hey, and I still had his number in my phone, and I could still text him. There's nothing I value more. Uh, in uh, my work life than my contacts list. There's literally nothing. Like, if I can get your phone number or your email address, I will save it. It's going in the vault. It's that's, never going away. That's great. Yeah. Because um, so it pays off. In the, ess- in, the, in the essence of time, mm-hmm. that's not the right word for it, but in, in respect of time for the show, yeah. um, if we could leave, like, the, the career path that you've had with... Um, maybe one or two pieces of advice for someone who's like, I'm going to go to LA film school and do it. Yeah. What would you tell them? Uh, well, I would start with what I just said. It was like, you not only like don't burn bridges, but build bridges. The class that I was in at LAFS had 50, it started with 55, I think 22 graduated, something like that. So there's this natural like weaning process of people who both know what they're doing and are able to do it. I'm still very good friends with some of them. Um, you just have to build every single bridge that you can because you never know. You never know who's gonna, who's got the best idea in an industry, in any creative industry where I was gonna say that's the same here, by the way. It's everything. Yeah. It's like you, you, like even if, if you can get, a, if you can find a way to get along with someone, get along with them. <laughs> you know, if you can figure out a way to work with someone, just work with them. You found like, out a way to get along with Gene Simmons. <laughs> if, if that meant becoming a destroyer, destroyer of all destroyer nations. Destroyer of all nations. Right. I guess I said the right thing at the right time. Yes. I don't have Gene's number. <laughs> Side note. But I have all the producers Please who worked on that show. After he said destroyer of all nations, he gave you the horns and stuck his tongue out. Probably. Yeah. We'll say that he did. <laughs> he was like, yeah. Now give me those Cheetos. uh so that would be my number one it was like not only like build a bridge you know go out of your way to build a bridge um and the second thing is um you're not the first person to ever do this job and that sounds demeaning but i mean that from a point of like objective sort of criticism you're not the first person dude who like wants to make a movie like you think you've, <laughs> but nobody's heard my movie idea. <laughs> like no, I know that's the mindset, right? I know They're nobody's like, heard your idea, and, no, um, and nobody will either. <laughs> millions of movies have been made. 
you know? Yeah. That's actually just gave this advice to a 15 year old high school kid in LA who was a friend of a boss of mine who I had to do an interview, like, like one of those like industry interviews for. I was like, I was like, this sounds mean. It's, I don't mean it to be mean, but you're not the first person to like ever who wants to like make a movie. That's a benefit to you because there's a million movies you can go watch. There's a gazillion movies you can go watch. I'm just using movies as an example Yeah. and see how they did it or like see how they made it. If you're a painter, like you think you're the first person like ever painted a painting? Yeah. No. There's an endless supply of inspiration you can go get. I love that you want to paint. Please paint. Like if you think there's something that you can contribute to the art world, please go paint. Like I cannot wait to see what you do. But don't tell me like nobody painted the Mona Lisa like 300 years ago. Da Vinci was before, Da Vinci was saying nobody's seen me paint, you know? And he learned from the people who did it before him and then he learned what went into it and he learned his craft and then he advanced it. Yeah. I'm all for advancing. Um, whether it's movies or art or writing, um, you won't talk to any famous writer who says, no, I just wrote it without being able to list 10 of their favorite writers. Mm -hmm. You know, you always draw on something and that's not a crutch. That's, that's your ability as an artist is well, to, yeah, and do that. even in the business world, you talk to people who have done it, who have teams behind them, and they have, you know, whether it be contractors or employees or anything like that, the really good ones, nine times out of ten, they will tell you that um, it's, that message is both inspiring and humbling. The inspiring yeah. part is that, like, I, I'm not special. I didn't do anything special. I just saw a need and I had people that believed in me and they were along for the ride. Right. Yeah. Um, but it's also humbling because you're not special. <laughs> and like, like get in line yeah. type, type of deal, you know? Yeah. So humbling and inspiring. There's a great big world out there. Please go change it for the better. There's, you know, it's like you can always change it for the better, but please respect the people who have done it before you and what you can learn from them and then improve and build upon it. There's nothing wrong with like building on the shoulders of giants. You know, yeah. you should want, everyone should want to do that because there's nothing behind us, but a legacy of yeah. people who have done it. Well, that's fantastic. There's your opener editor. Oh, are we going to put that in the open? Is that going to be the spot? Is that going to be my sponge quote? Yeah. And I found my way. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> and we're going to have our voice of us singing right there go into the I love yeah. it. You got to get creative, man. There we go. You take the episodes that we've that we've made of the sponge up to this point and we build upon it. We get creative with it and yeah. you change the game a little bit. We're on the shoulders of giants. Yeah. So, the last segment of this show um is fun and it's really interesting and it might mean something, it might mean nothing at all, but either way it's a good way to learn about each other. And yeah, I mean, we already know a lot about each other, but it's I think there's more to learn. There though. is sure. Yeah. <laughs> um, Brandon was saying before the show starts that our mannerisms are the same. So sorry, audience <laughs> that you just start, like start yeah. mirroring. Yeah. yeah. We're just watching the same people to talk to each other. Yeah. Yeah. Whatever. Whatever. No big deal. <laughs> yeah. It's like, uh, yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> um, so the last part of the show is, is what we call the 50, 50 questions because we each write down four questions for the other person and we draw two of them. I'm actually surprised, but like I've clearly written down four questions already. Yes. <laughs> and, um, it's going to be a 50, 50 chance of drawing those questions. But based on our discussions before we hit record of this episode, we might just draw all four. <laughs> yeah, let's we, do it. We might make it a hundred zero questions instead of 50, 50, just a yeah. hundred zero. Well, for the, for the sake of the editorial, we should say, no, let's do 50-50. Cool, let's do it. I can't wait to dive into 50-50. Yeah. 
and then we'll do all four of them. That's right. Yeah. Okay. Do you want to go first or do who, I go first? I'll, you're the guest. You get to pick who goes all right, first. I'll go, I'll go first. You got you got a cool little bag? Well, it's your headphone bag that I put them in. Yeah. For effect. But it's a cool little bag. Question number one. Ooh, don't pick that one. What are you most proud of? Ooh, interesting. Um... Especially now that we got to hear like the whole <laughs> the whole arc career arc. What am I most proud of? Uh, hmm. I am most proud of. Uh, this is going to sound a little pretentious, but I'm most proud of that I've been able to make a life with a family f- for ourselves in uh, Los Angeles. That's not pretentious. I mean, I, it feels pretentious. I'll tell you why. And that is because the standard of living in Los Angeles is very high. Yeah, but if you've done it, then it's like something to be proud of. Exactly. And so, like, as terrified as, as I am of the future, <laughs> which I always am, uh, I'm as proud of, of my past and the relationships I've made that have allowed me, to your point, to build a career, to be able to support a family because that's really what i'm doing is supporting a family in in uh los angeles in a way that we all kind of want to have it yeah like we really haven't um i've been fortunate enough to not have to uh uh beg and steal you know and uh, i know people who have i've also seen i've you know i've been out there almost been out there almost 15 years and i've seen a lot of people move there i've seen a lot of people move away i've seen a lot of people flame out i've seen a lot of people who've decided that they can't do it i'm really proud that the the track record i have so far is the way that it is that's awesome and um you should be able to support you should be proud of yourself that's great well thanks and it's funny because there was one time i visited it was like right after shortly after i dude i remember your trip it was crazy which trip i've been out there a few times remember the first trip you came out yes you sat in our pool (laughs) and we don't live in this house anymore we were first of all we were splitting so the thing that i was like living in a house with a pool i was splitting it with like five people by the way this memory that you're going to share is is, (laughs) so good is vivid and i tell people this all the time so so i'm at work and i was like no just come out and like go swimming it'll be great so you sit in the pool for like four hours and you get like sunburnt I, ve- I fell asleep in the pool. You fell asleep in the pool. You got totally sunburned. And then like two hours later, there was like a, like a double homicide, like a block away. <laughs> it was at the, like, if you followed the, your street down to where it hits the main street, it was on the, cor- oh. it was on the corner. Yeah. So they shut your whole street down. Yeah. And there, and I wake up to helicopters <laughs> like circling. Yeah. And you're still not home. No. And, and I'm like, where are you? And you're like, Dude, I can't get to my house. They locked the street. They locked it down. <laughs> they locked like four square and blocks I, down. Meanwhile, I'm like looking at myself like. <laughs> You're like roasted. I'm very red. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. And then like we didn't get back to like 11 p.m. Yeah. We didn't get back into I our house. I just like made dinner in your kitchen. And yeah. It was my first time being there. So I was just like, I'm just going to go into the You're like, no, the, the police were just here. Yeah. And I was like, no, I know. Like, did you do anything? And you're like, no, I was just sleeping in the pool. The police were just canvassing. I'm like, no, I know. It's like what they do when people die. <laughs> and that, that sounds rude. And like, and like naive. Uh, that's hilarious. That, I tell, was, that was one of my first. No, I, that was my second time out there. Yeah. That was my first time out there by myself. I know. So I, I like flew by myself. I got a cab by myself. <laughs> I got to your house. And the next thing that happens is that. I mean, that's a story, man. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. So you've ma- you've made it. You've survived LA. <laughs> Congratulations. Yeah. All right, my turn. All right. What's your internal beats per minute? One twenty. 
You think it's 120? I do. Like on the nose? You, you mean like a not heartbeat, like drum beat, right? Yeah, because I know you're a drummer. Yeah. You're a very good drummer. Yeah. You're a little rusty. I'm very rusty. Because I watch your Instagram feed. Yeah, it's and I'm only just. It's pretty bad. Sorry. I'm just Sorry, echoing crowd. what you say about yourself. Yeah. First of all, I tell everyone that you're a fantastic drummer. I used to be. I'm, I'm pretty rusty now. You aren't fantastic again yet. That's another thing all right. that I tell everyone. I'm, I'm not you want to learn piano? You're, you haven't learned piano yet. You're not fantastic again yet. Okay. You will be. Fair enough. Um, Vanessa's telling me the same thing. She's just like, you just yeah. gotta, like you can't just like expect to be as good as you were. Yeah. You so just have to do it. I have to get out of my own head a little bit. I will say that f- in general, it was always 120. Yeah. It's a really good mosh pit tempo. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, your neck is like, thank you. Yeah, but um, lately, like since I've started playing again, I've noticed that it has slowed down quite a bit. Yeah. Probably to like 95 or 100. I think mine is a little slower. It, it's, gotten down, it's gotten down to more of like a groove instead of like jump up and down. Yeah. Well, that's like baked in, like band, like marching band in high school. That was 120. Yeah. Yeah. yeah People are going to take this and they're going to yeah. be like, how close are they really? Yeah. Be like, 122. <laughs> uh, but yeah. The roll step. I still roll step like in the hallway sometimes. I've taught people that in the office. Yeah. Because if we're walking around with a camera, I'm like, you ever heard of a toothpaste? <laughs> like, what do like you mean? I heard of a toothpaste. I use toothpaste. Yeah. They're like, no, like you imagine that you're roll, you're squeezing out toothpaste. Plus, if I try and like, I like sneaking up on people. And just being like, ah! and I, if you roll stuff, they can't hear you. That's another. You should tell people in your office. That. That's you totally like, why how, I do it. You learn how to do this. You can sneak <laughs> up on people. It's fantastic. <laughs> all right. You're next. Yeah. All right. What's the craziest onset filming experience you've ever had? Um, uh, two immediately come to mind. One is more of like a self crazy, like something I had to do. And another is like, um, is like, uh, uh, like on set Like I can't believe This is happening Yeah So what one do you want me To start with Well I had two guesses I, I was gonna see if Maybe they're the same ones That you just had Come to mind The first one I'll, I'll give you like The first craziest thing I ever had That you had to do Yeah That I had to do That's um, not what the question Entailed I meant just a story In general of on set Like this is happening Right now Right Yeah So I'll do that one first That's the one that I think yeah. you're gonna say <laughs> One of them is X-rated So I will, I'll spare I'll tell you off air Okay The other one is uh, Same movie It was Crank 2 Oh this is not what I was expecting okay. you to say Okay So um, This is like I'm gonna wade into like The Hollywood rumor mill gossip Here a little bit But it all really happened And this is my memory of it So Crank 2 was a $25 million Jason Statham action movie that was directed by two guys. It was a part directing partner team and they were Neveldeen and Taylor. And it was uh, Mark Neveldeen and Brian Taylor. They directed also um, a movie called Gamer. Remember those? Remember that one? Gerard yeah. Butler movie. They're oh, big. I, do, I remember the previews, but I never saw it. They were like right on the cusp of the, of the what you can do with a digital camera in the digital camera filmmaking market. And um, anyway, um, we were there for, it was like a four week shoot and it was like 35 days. And um, so it was a little bit longer than four weeks. But anyway, um, one day <laughs> they like partied all weekend. This is what I remember. And they were just like totally hammered. Like, <laughs> like still like Monday morning. And when you, like a day on a film set is like 6 a.m. to like 10 p.m. Yeah, it's not nine to five. No. 
and as a PA, you're like the first one there. So it's like, all right, the call is 6 a.m. and you got to be there and you got to set everything up so people can start really showing up at 7.30. So we were there and also with these, with a $25 million movie, like everybody's got a trailer. You know, you hear like the, I'm in my trailer. It's basically just an RV. Uh, it's like a fifth wheel, mm-hmm. right? That they just park in like wherever they can find parking. That's why parking there's like this whole underworld of like parking in Los Angeles because people will buy parking lots and just keep them forever until someone has a film and they can charge them up the. Yeah. Because yeah. that's what they're waiting for. They're just like waiting for be like, Oh no, you can park anything you want here. I'll just charge you like $5,000 a day. And people are like, got it. You know, like, like that's like, there's a whole industry of that anyway. So we're in, we're in the thing. And, um, uh, there's a gentleman named Bill Clark who, uh, is a uh, he's sort of like this the small time hero of mine, um, and he's the first AD who's basically the first assistant director who's like a who's like the boss of the set. He like runs everything. Like the you need a first AD to run everything. Like the director is directing, the cinematographer is shooting the cameras. The first AD is like, we're gonna make a movie. You know, he's like, we're we're gonna do it. He's <laughs> do it like that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, movies make or break their first AD. You know, and. Um, they were not coming out of their trailers, the directors, because they were just like glassed. You know what I mean? Like they were just like, I'm out. Like we're doing this thing. And it was like nine, nine thirty, ten. And when you're on set, it's just like, all right, we just lost another ten thousand dollars. You know, it's like that sort of thing. So I remember he took Bill, the first AD, took everyone on set. Everyone. Set directors, the PAs, the whole directing team, the whole camera team, the whole not the directing team because they were in the trailers, but uh the the second ADs, the second second ADs, the PA, everyone. The whole crew. The whole crew. And there's probably 40, 50 people. And he lined them up around the trailer. So if you're in the trailer and you look out, you can't see anyone, right? Um, but we all knew from the outside we were all lined up and we we're like hugging the trailer. <laughs> and, he's, and he said to the first person, who is probably the person who was supposed to be there, which is probably him, he's like, I'm going to knock and ask him to come to the set. And like invite them so they call it inviting them to set so he knocks he's like all right hey uh guys we're all set for you he's like okay cool they're like okay cool we'll be out and he, he walks away and he waits like a minute and he goes to the second person in line he's like just knock on their door and tell them we're gonna come out and he's like hey guys uh bill uh just wanted me to come out and let you know that uh we're uh, we're all set for you so like, yeah no i know <laughs> <laughs> we're coming okay was like okay cool and then you know again from the inside of the trailer you could see him like walk away and then like a minute later the next person number three is like hey guys uh bill just wanted me to tell you that we're all set <laughs> for you he's like no i know and it took like seven people before they're like i know we're coming <laughs> it was like we're all like dying it's like this is hilarious meanwhile like i know like these guys are like movie t- directors who are like getting paid a lot of money to Millions, be here yeah and it was like this is how this is like how it, it doesn't matter if it's hollywood it's like they don't want to come this guy's job is to figure out a way to get them there that's like spit image out of of entourage yeah you watch entourage like yeah 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 that's no it's they, exactly that's like how they that. acted on that yeah like and it was just like i remember being exactly there i remember being in that exact moment and like just like we just thought this was hilarious that's awesome um i thought the story you were gonna share was the set of Appleton in the middle of the winter when the sprinkler went off. Oh, I remember that. Yeah. 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 That, that, that wasn't like necessarily crazy. Yeah. To me, that's something that just like happened and we had to deal with it. 
I just thought it was crazy because of like you know people like hypothermia and whatnot. <laughs> there was a little, <laughs> there was a little bit of a scare of that. I don't think he did in the end because it was acted upon really oh, yeah. rapidly. Right, but it could have been easily. That would yeah. very easily could have been a very serious situation. But in lieu of time, we don't need to share that whole story. Too, yeah, because that's a, that's a good story for another time. The second story, oh, this is brief. The second okay. story I was going to say was that I was on a really low budget movie, and the producer came to me. Uh, on the last day of filming, we were there from 6 a.m. and it was now 4 a.m. And that means you go into second meal because you're obligated to pay a union crew a meal every six hours. So if you're there at six, you got to feed them at noon, and then you got to feed them at 6 p.m. and then you got to feed them at, um, you know, midnight, I guess. Right. And they hadn't fed him anyone at at midnight, and it was like 2 a.m. and he's like, "Hey, here's uh, $700 in cash. You got to feed 45 people as fast as you can." <laughs> and I did it. You did? Yeah. Ta- Taco Bell? Or what? No, it was close. It was a 24-hour Mexican restaurant, and I returned in about 35 minutes with food for 45 people. With sweat running down your face. And then, you know what I did? I, I, went, and, uh, I went and sat in my car and called Dad because I knew he was going to work. That's awesome. Yeah, he's like, how's it going? I was like, good. And I slept in my car. And I never worked for that guy again because that's a low blow, man. He yeah. was kind of a – he yeah. wasn't a very good guy either. You don't want to do that. Yeah. He burnt the bridge. You didn't burn the bridge, right? That's right. Okay. You can own one major sports team, baseball, football, basketball, hockey, or I guess MLS. <laughs> subtle, subtle, I wrote it that way. Subtle did. For the record, yeah. I wrote it that way. Which sport and which team? Um, it, it goes against what I care about. Yeah. Well, no, I, it, ha- it can't. <laughs> I mean, it could. You can say whatever you want. No, it, no, it can't. It has to go with it, what I care about because that's how I operate. I don't okay. invest in anything unless I care about it. Ooh, all right. I can't. I like. I can't emotionally do that. Right, and I wouldn't expect you to. So it would have to be a baseball team. Really? Yeah. See, I thought you were going to say something else. You thought I would say football. Yeah. See, now I would from a money standpoint, but I don't want to deal with Roger Goodell and the ownership team and all that kind of stuff. The only reason I would do the NFL is if I was a majority owner of a publicly owned team like the Packers, <laughs> <laughs> which they don't, they're not structured. Which you're like not that. allowed to be. And you can't. Yeah. Even if you are, they don't have voting privileges. Yeah. So it's, if, if you could structure it like a stock market where yeah. you can be a majority owner and it could be publicly owned, I would do football. But it's not. Yeah. Most of the teams are privately owned. And you have to deal with the political nightmare that is the NFL. And I would not be able to have my heart in that, but I would be able to have my heart in the tradition of baseball and knowing that I own a piece of it. I would think yeah. that would be awesome. Would you own the Brewers? Yeah. Yeah. But I also don't want the current owners to give up owners because they're doing great things. No, I love Mark. So, yeah. Like let I, him, I say that like I know him. Let him I keep doing know. it. If it, if it could be anybody, it would have to be closer proximity. So it'd be like the twins or the white Sox. Yeah. Oh, a, you go AL. I don't know if I could go American league. I can't fight against the Brewers. <laughs> I'd want to see them in the World Series. You but then you'd play against your hometown team in the World Series. It's the World Series. <laughs> it's a win-win. It's like you the Brewers win or I win. Yeah. Either way I'm going to make a lot of money. <laughs> Either way we already are making bank here. Yeah, we've made it this far, yeah. which means I probably have some real big all-stars on my team. Yeah. Yeah. So it would be an AL team in close proximity. Yeah. But it would be from a money standpoint, Target Field is a really great field. For, from a, yeah, they, it's beautiful. Yeah. From a money standpoint, it would either be basketball or or football. 
Yeah. But my heart's not in the NBA because I think it's garbage. And I actually agree with you 100%. And I don't, I don't think my heart could be in the political nightmare that the NFL is. Yeah. So what could I have like a ton of passion for? Not make as much money, but still love it? <laughs> Baseball. Baseball team, yeah. America's sport. Yeah. America's pastime, rather. Right. That's for our brother-in-law, John, who believes it's more of a pastime than a sport. Um, <laughs> whatever, John. <laughs> whatever, John. Whatever, John. <laughs> Go watch your draft combine. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, anyways, thanks so much for being on the show. Yeah. It's been a real pleasure. No, I, I, I was so I was it. so stoked to come in here and do again. Like I know I said it earlier, but I uh, thank you for having me. And I know this is like your career is just like your job. It probably just feels like that. But to a lot of people around here, it's really cool what you're doing, and it's really cool to have local ties with somebody that's in that industry and gets it and everything like that. So, so thanks for coming back and being on the show and helping add to the sponge. Yeah, of course. I am. I'm. Uh, I'm super proud, like I say, like like um, to be uh, from here, and I'm not ever against. Like I don't view, I don't feel like I've moved away from here. I feel like part of me will always be here, and uh, I'm super proud to have, to hopefully be a, um, you know, spokesman for the area. And I'm super stoked with what you guys are doing here and continuing to advance the whole um, everything. <laughs> <laughs> you guys feel like in, you're in doing everything. I'm not involved in everything. I mean, slowly but surely. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so I'm super uh, proud of uh, what you've been able to create. And I tell everyone that they should always just come here <laughs> and that they should uh, come back here as much as possible. And um, as much as I can spread the Appleton and Greater Fox City's love yeah. and Wisconsin love, I'll just keep doing that. So thanks again for being on the show, Greg. Thanks for everybody who paid attention, who tuned in, whether it be uh, through the podcast network or on the blog or Facebook. Uh, through email, subscribe to any one of those channels, follow along. And uh, in, until then, keep being a sponge and soaking up as much inspiration and knowledge from everybody else as you can. Thanks. Soak it. Soak it.